Well, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our living Lord and Savior, the reigning Christ. Amen. It is a pleasure to be with you. If you're not aware of this, this, is, uh, this was supposed to take place on April 15th. Anybody remember that? Anybody remember April 15th? Yeah. And uh, it was a difficult... I, I actually tried coming down here on Saturday night. Pastor Ryan was gracious enough along with the church here to secure a motel room. And I was up north. I was in Traverse City. And uh, twice coming down here, the highway was closed. And so I went back to, to we have a home, our home is there, and then in Frankfurt, and um, said, Ryan, I just wanted you to know this. And he said, uh, well, you know what's interesting? Did you have a wedding or a funeral that day? It was one of the two. And he said, I, I have some elders here, we'll get back with you. And then it was the encouragement not to come. I did try the next morning at 6 a.m. to leave and get to 5.30 a.m. to get up and get down. I could not get out of my driveway. It's not even a three-foot rise, but I could not get out of my driveway. So I am thankful to be here with you. What was supposed to happen then, I pray God will bless now, and that is to remember God's faithfulness for 125 years to this church in Holland, Michigan. Uh, God is to be praised, and I look forward to seeing all that God can and will continue to do with you, as this is also a big day for you, as you will be installing uh, Pastor Scott Young as well. If you look at your, if you have your Bibles, that's better yet, but I know you're Lutheran and probably didn't bring them, <laughs> which I've got to tell you is a little disappointing because we say that we're a church of the word and then we don't bring our Bibles. Uh, so here's the deal. I hope if you, if you have your Bible out, we're going to be looking at particular, two places that I would like to take you is Philippians chapter 1. And then I'm going to take you to Acts 16, and we're going to spend a little time in Acts 16 at the very beginning before I concentrate on one verse, and that's going to be Philippians 1.6. But as you see there, this is one of the most joyous books in the New Testament. Paul is writing to a church that he absolutely loves uh, because he's experienced great blessing there, and I want to tell you how he did. That's what we're going to get into. But this begins, as, as the reading did, as it was read from Philippians chapter 1.3, I thank my God every time I think of and remember you. So I want you to know that's true. I'm very thankful for this congregation, for its faithful pastors. Uh, you've had a number of them come back and preach to you. You've had Bookshaw. His son is here now. Stephen's here. Uh, John is a great friend, a great Bible teacher. His son, Stephen, is a superb musician. You will be blessed. Uh, President Bill Hoseman uh, came back in return. It was a pleasure to serve with him and under him. Uh, Glenn Wester, Pastor Westra, uh, if he had been here, I was going to say, uh, I remember him very well because when I was at the seminary in Fort Wayne, he had me side his house. That was one of the jobs that I did to get my way through. So I came to know him pretty well. Ken Wise, um, I've come to respect him immensely. He's worked on a number of our, uh, our, a number of our committees, putting some great conferences for pastors together. And then I've also definitely had the privilege of knowing Ryan and Amy and uh, actually to kind of see them grow up. My wife loves Amy and, and uh, just a tremendous woman of the Lord. But Pastor Ryan has proven himself. He, has, oh, he came in here as a dynamic young man, in my opinion. I remember meeting him at my first district convention, actually where I was elected, and uh, knowing his father, but seeing him grow through the years here, and, and then especially what he's experienced. So folks, I want you to know that you have been blessed, and that God blesses people that are faithful. So it's also a compliment to you to recognize how God continues to work, how he's brought you another pastor and Pastor Scott Young, but also especially in Pastor Ryan Winningham that you have. I don't know what you do here as, um, I don't know what's tradition here, and at the moment I don't care, 
bear with me. But I would like to thank God, especially for Pastor and Amy, and would you please join me? Thank you. God be praised. And folks, I'm thankful as you look at that Philippians 1 text there, 3 to, 3 to 11 and following, I'm thankful for your continued partnership in the gospel. And I want you to hear what that says. Not only are there pastors, there are congregations, there are people, and we are in a partnership together to continue to listen to God as he speaks today through his word and to follow and to be as faithful as we possibly can. I'm not only thankful for you, I'm especially thankful for God. For 125 years, he has been faithful to this congregation, probably more like 127. People thinking about, dreaming about this, but you're going to hear that this congregation was in God's heart from eternity. And I want you to know that because of God's grace and because of his mercy and because of his faithfulness, because his mercies are new every morning, it is great. There's a magnitude of his faithfulness in Christ. Remember that the best is yet to come. So I'd like to take a particular look at verse 6 in Philippians chapter 1, and this is how it reads. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So if you turn to Acts 16, I want to give you the basis of why Paul is saying that. What is the basis of this book? So if you turn to Acts 16, I'm going to fill you in a little bit. We'll probably pick up at verse 6. Paul is, uh, Paul is going around and he is intent on strengthening the churches in the Middle East. He's encouraging the leaders there. He's encouraging all the Christ followers because there's a partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as he is doing that, and he's got some plans that he's going to go even further, probably over to Spain, we think, he gets a prompting from God. You'll find that in verse 6. And I'm going to give you my translation a little bit. Paul, ditch your itinerary. I think that's what God is telling Paul. Ditch it. Nice plans that you had, let me tell you mine. So ditch your carefully planned itinerary, drop everything, go down, to the, go down to the sea and board a ship and go across the sea to Macedonia. Some theologians will call this the Macedonian call. Now Paul had never been there before, ever. But he was close enough to God to know his voice and God's spot promptings, the Spirit's promptings, that he knew he should obey. And so he complied. And he got on the ship, not knowing where he was going, and went. Here's a brief aside for you. Folks, I want you to be in the Word of God. All your pastors do. I want you to be in the word of God where you will read and hear what God is saying and his spirit takes that and he speaks to you. He will let you know that he will guard and guide you. Jesus says in the Good Shepherd chapter in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and no one can snatch that out of my father's hand. Now let me break that down for you really quickly. My sheep hear my voice. I pray that you can distinguish Jesus' voice from all the other murmurs and clangings and noise that is out in the world. And the best way to do that is to be in the word of God and see what he is saying and see his compassion and his love and his faithfulness and his mercy and his grace directed to you. And you will know that because God works on your heart, he works there through his word and through the sacraments. And I want you to know God's voice so well that when he prompts you, prompts you, 
to speak to someone or takes you to some place you haven't been. Or all of a sudden you start praying for that cashier or for that gas station attendant or whatever it might be that you know God's prompting so well that you comply. I'll tell you what, when you do, I know that in my life, when I have, I've entered in some of the greatest adventures in my life ever. And I know that God's got the same thing planned for you. The best is yet to come. Well, Paul winds up at Philippi, which is a major city in Macedonia. And once he's there, he's trying to figure out what to do. Uh, he follows his SOP, his standard operational procedure. He goes down into the synagogue, sees what's happening, not much. And it seems that maybe God leads him down to the Bible says, as you continue to read there in Acts around 14, and before that, he goes down to a river, to the river, which is called a place of prayer. So he goes on down there, and while he's waiting for the next prompting, he sits there and some women start coming. One of them was a very wealthy woman, a businesswoman, who was a seller of purple. And her name was, there you go, see you're in the Bible, was Lydia. And the Bible says there she was a worshiper of God. And Paul strikes up a conversation with her down by the river. And in a few hours, quote, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. She understands that God loves her. She understands what Jesus, the Son of God, true God, true man, has not only done for her, but for the world. And she is thrilled with her faith in Jesus. And right after that, the Bible says she gets baptized. Apparently, this wealthy woman has a very large house because she was so excited about her faith, she invites Paul and his missionary team to come and stay there. Please stay with me. And most historians and theologians will tell us that she also, because of this large house, her house probably became the worshiping place as Paul began the church in Philippi. So on that very first day, this is what took place. Paul has his first church member, his first convert. He has a place for his missionary team to stay, and he has a gathering place for his new church. Sometimes church work goes really well. After that, it goes south. Paul, if you're looking at verses 17 to 24, Paul goes downtown with his missionary friend, Silas, and he performs a healing on a young woman who desperately needed it because she was demon-possessed and owned by some men that were using that demon possession to do some divining or whatever else. And Paul knows that's wrong, and he has mercy because God's had mercy on him, and by God's grace and moving, he heals the girl. And this miraculous healing causes such a ruckus in the town square that Paul and his missionary companion, Silas at this time, wind up getting beaten, arrested, they're thrown into a rat-infested prison. It is not a good deal. Sometimes, Ryan, church work, Scott, does not go all that well. Yet you remain faithful. And that's what Paul and Silas did. They were recuperating from being beaten for spreading the message of Christ. And what do they do? Acts tells us that they decided to sing praise songs, worship songs to their God, thanking him. So at midnight, they are singing these songs in the jail. 
and all of a sudden, an earthquake, I believe, shakes that part of the city. I, just reading that, I just had this feeling it wasn't the whole, the whole area of Philippi, not the whole cosmopolitan area. It was probably just around this jailhouse. It's an earthquake. It is shaking violently. All of the jail doors open up. The shackles fall off of all of the prisoners. And then the prison keeper, the commander of this whole place, runs in there trying to figure out what is going on. And he figures out while he's standing, looking around, seeing all the doors open, especially knowing the ruckus that Paul and Silas have caused, and they're undoubtedly gone, he's going to find a way to kill himself. Because he's going to die the next morning anyway as the authorities put him to death for allowing the escape of these prisoners. And lo, I love that word, and lo, they're all still sitting in their cells, all of them, including Paul and Silas. And I believe that somewhere in the conversation that ensues, the jailer realizes that God had Paul and Silas stay put so that he wouldn't kill himself. And right there he asks one of the great questions of the New Testament. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 30. Later on that night, he takes Paul and Silas into his home, and they bandage them up, and Paul and Silas, as they only could, as we should, share the gospel. And that night, all of the household is baptized as well. And so the jailer becomes the second member of the church along with all of his household at Philippi, and what a grace of God that was. Paul, being a Roman citizen, should never have been beaten. He calls everyone's attention to that. They are formally released with a great apology, and they go back to the house of this wealthy woman, Lydia, and they continue to preach and teach the word of God. They encourage this little fledgling flock until it starts to grow and get stronger. And they appoint leaders, and then God gives them another prompting to move on to another city. So... They say goodbye to the church at Philippi, and they move on. Paul never forgets that church. He never forgets the prompting to change his travel plans, the prompting to board the ship, the prompting to go down to the river. He never forgets the conversation with Lydia, the wealthy woman. He never forgets the jail or the jailer's conversion, because God is good. And many years later, from another prison cell, I believe, I believe in Ephesus, actually, Paul was again arrested for proclaiming the message there, and he sits down in that cell under the direction of the Holy Spirit, and he writes a letter back to this church at Philippi, and that is the book that we call Philippians. Friends, I want to encourage that you read it, all of it. Don't panic. It's four chapters. I just want you to read it, because they would read it all at once. It's a letter to them. And then they would study it as we do today. They didn't have the verse markings and the chapter markings, but they would read it. And they would know God. And they would recognize his voice. And I want to encourage that you do the same. And now to the verse at hand. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That is to say, whatever God starts, 
God finishes. Okay? God starts stuff. It's not a word in the Bible, but it covers a lot. He started the world. He started human life. He started your life in your mother's wombs. He started your faith. And God is reminding the church at Philippi who started that church. Paul is reminding them, it wasn't me. It wasn't me who started the church. It wasn't you. God started the church at Philippi. He's the one that said, ditch your itinerary. Get down in the boat. Sail across the sea. Go to the temple. Go down to the place in the river. Talk to Lydia. This is all God's work. It was God's plan. And what God starts, God finishes. There is not a quitter bone in his being. And folks, God is incredibly different that way. I don't want a hand count here. I don't want you to raise your hands, but please listen. Uh, if I asked you how many of you know of a husband that at some point in this married life gave up on his wife, would you know anybody? If I said to you, do you know of a wife that gave up on her husband? Just quit. Would you know anybody? How many of you know parents who have disowned their children? They just had it with them. Get out of the house. Go. I'm not saying that their kids were good or innocent. I'm just asking. How many of you know kids that have given up on their parents? Just, you don't know anything anyway. I'm out of here. How many of you know mothers? And how many of you are familiar with the true expression that a mother's work is never done? So true. It's happening more and more as we look at all these instances, but also the first ones. Loyalty is seeking, sinking to all-time lows. We human beings will often start stuff and often will not finish it. We quit when the price gets too high or the going gets too tough. Not so with God. And not so with Jesus. I'm going to take you back to Jesus on the cross. It's in John 19. It's verse 30. And it says that when he had received the drink, Jesus said, Tetelestai. One word. It is finished. It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What was finished? Payment for all sin. What was finished? Death was conquered for all who believe in him. What was finished? He had broke the power of sin. So sin, Paul says in Romans 6, can no longer be your master, for you are not under the law, you are under grace. You're under grace. What was finished? Sin's dominion over you, where you think you can't overcome the sin, or those that are addicted can't get past that, and you're wrong. Jesus said, it is finished. The curse of sin, the power of sin, the payment for sin is done completely. If you want to know if your sins are forgiven, look to the cross where Jesus says, it is finished. And that's what he meant. It's done. Complete. Totally. And Paul is reminding the church of Philippi in this morning Zion Lutheran Church here in Holland that God is fundamentally different and far superior to human beings. He redefines loyalty and true work. What God starts, he finishes. He began, 
he who began the good work in you is going to see it through to completion, period. So I'd like to share two particular implications from this verse. The first is for you as a congregation together. And the second is for each of you as individuals. So first, Paul says to the church at Philippi, because God started this fellowship, you can count on this. He's going to sustain it. Paul is saying to the church at Philippi, you may come upon hard times. You might fall in some hard, difficult economic times. Neighborhoods and cultures are going to change. Persecution levels might go up. There might even be some martyrdoms. Leaders might fail you at the church at Philippi. But know this, because God started this church, not Paul, not Lydia, not the jailer, but because God started this church, and because there's not a quitter bone in his being, he is going to sustain you until the end. And that applies to this church as well. God started this church. God did. Before this town was named Holland, or the state was named Michigan, God had this church in his heart in eternity. He planned it. He started it. And as you remain faithful to the proclamation of God's word, the right use of the sacraments, as you're obedient to the word and to the promptings of God, knowing the voice of God, God is going to sustain you to the very end. Because as your theme states, out of Zion, God shines forth. And he will continue to do so. People will come and go. Leaders will come and go. Staff will come and go. Pastors will come and go. But because God gave birth to this church, he who began it will complete it. This is what Jesus had to say to Peter. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. As I was growing up and I heard that, and my father was a pastor too, so I, it is definitely not his fault. It was just the way I heard it. I thought that the church in this picture that Jesus was painting for Peter was kind of buckling in. I mean, they were locking the doors shuttering the windows hell is not going to hurt us it's not what the passage says it says that zion lutheran and every other faithful congregation is right right at the door of hell and we are doing everything that we can to take as many people from hell because if you don't believe that's where you belong that's where you are that we are standing at the gates of hell and they satan will not overcome us he will not defeat us and we need to share this good news. We need to share this gospel message because here is a reason that we're here to go out and share the good news, to take on Satan, and to know that the victory is in Christ. Do you know that we do not fight for victory? Do you know that? We fight from victory. It has already been accomplished. It is finished in Jesus. So as you look into the future, you can look into the future knowing that because God gave birth to this church, because God loves humanity, because God loves you, that no matter what, he is going to see you through to the end. But just as Paul and Silas were obedient to the word of God, they were close enough to know him, to know his voice and to sense his promptings and to follow them. Let us draw close to the Lord. 
Let us encourage one another, and all the more as the day is drawing near. May we follow and experience the great adventure of grace in our life and in others. Isn't that a great promise for the church? God's going to see you through. Isn't that awesome? Please respond. Yeah, yeah, it's an awesome, I know you're Lutheran, but have some emotion. It's all right. What does God say now to you as individuals? Well, folks, if you're here today, if you're here today, and I thank God that you are, it's not by chance. There are over five and a half billion, close to six billion people in the world, and God had you come here this morning. And the God of the universe has arrived in your life here again and is working wherever you are, especially when you're word, in the Word, with his work gloves on. And he's got a tool belt, and he's got a blueprint to transform your life. That's what God promises. He began a work in you, the gift of faith, and he's going to see it through to completion. Now, the gift of faith is called conversion. And for many of you, it probably happened at the waters of holy baptism. Praise the Lord. Others of you heard the word of God. The Holy Spirit created faith, and now you are a Christ follower. And as you are in the word, and you continue to listen to that inspiration and guidance of his word and live under that grace and are strengthened in the Lord's Supper, you are experiencing the Christian life. Baptism is not a symbol. It's a reality. You're joined to Christ, Paul says in Romans 6. The old is gone, the new has come forth. You are joined to Christ. When you receive the sacrament, it's not a symbol. You're receiving the very price of your salvation, the body and blood of Jesus, so that God is even coursing within you. He's living within you. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And God now invites and inspires us that we respond to him and cooperate in faith. That's called sanctification. And this is how the great apostle talks about it in Philippians chapter 2. That's the second chapter you're going to read this week. Just thought I'd tell you that. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, if you're in the Bibles, reads like this. Verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you. He's in you. It is God who works in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure or purpose. That verse says that God is working in you. And he's doing a good work. And the wonderful work that he began, he wants to see through to completion. He's given you faith. He's given you a saved, grace-filled life. And now we find out from Galatians 5, 22 and 23 that God's work is going to result in you being far more loving people than you've ever been, far more joyful people, far more peace-filled people. Let me give you Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It is what God is giving you. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, these are not the gifts of the Spirit. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Did you note that it's singular? It doesn't say fruits. It says fruit. Do you want to know why? Because when the Holy Spirit comes, you get the full package. So guys, if your wife tells you that you're not being patient, not that we've ever heard that, it's not that you don't have it. 
You're allowing something to block it. All of these things come by the gift, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, and they are fruits within us, certainly a grace, a gift. The Bible says that when we yield to God's good work in us, he, we will become more patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, self-disciplined. That's God's agenda. That's God's blueprint. And the good work that God is attempting to do in your life and mine continues under his grace. Now, I've come to realize that one of the great blessings of pastoring a church is to see how God continues to work in people's lives. And I'm guessing that you, pastor, and you, pastor, have seen the same thing. We've seen stubborn individuals transformed into flexible, grace-filled people. We've seen self-righteous, judging types become broad-minded, grace-giving, and accepting. We've seen arrogant people become humble. We've seen self-obsessed, my way, my program individuals by God's work become servant-minded because God's continuing to do the work in them. We've seen addicted people set free from sin to serve the living God because of his power and his continued love and grace. We've seen high school kids that just didn't seem to give much care about much except what they wanted to concentrate on be filled with the fervor and the fire of the Holy Spirit. And they wanted to change the world. And God bless them and may they. And the good work that God says he's going to do in my life and yours, he is saying he's going to do it for the rest of our lives. And I want to tell you on a very personal level why that is so incredibly important to me. I don't know about you, but I regress. I revert back to some sins I just thought were done. I say and do things that I know break the heart of God. And when I do, the first thought that comes to my mind is still this. I, I bet you that one's the deal breaker. I bet you God is done with me, man. I'll bet you that one is the last straw and it broke the camel's back. I'm done with God. He's done with me. I, I don't know many, how many of you are sports fans here, but this is a picture I want to paint for you. I don't know how many of you remember Jerry Tarkanian. He was the uh, coach of the UNLV running Rebels. He made it to the Final Four NCAA Final Four four times, and he won it once. And this is what he was known for. He had a white towel, and when he was frustrated, he would bite on it. He just, he just, and then when he was mad, he'd throw it down. So this is my picture of God when I, when I revert. Meyer, I've had it with you. How I've told, we have gone through this so many times. How often do I have to forgive you for this? I'm done. And then the voice of the real God, the true God, brings a verse like this to my memory. The work that God begins, he will complete. He who committed himself to a good work in my life will never give up, even though I regress. And so he keeps his work gloves on, the tool belt out, the blueprint out, and he says, I see your regression, I see your sin, and it grieves me. But I have loved you, as Jeremiah says, with an everlasting love. And he points me to the blood-stained cross and to the open tomb and he said, David, I'm not going to quit on you. I do forgive you. Let's pick it up from here and let's keep going.
children of God, God's greatest work is the bestowal of the righteousness of Jesus Christ to his people. We don't deserve it. We never have. We never will. But God is gracious in giving that to us, drawing us to himself, allowing us even to repent, making us brand new, giving us a renewed spirit, new batteries, if you will, that we might rebuild for the glory of God. God will never, ever wink at your sin. Ever. And I want to tell you from a personal experience, if you think you can just keep on going with sin and not deal with it, you're outgunned. Wave the white flag of repentance. And the power of the resurrected Christ, return to him and say, forgive me, God, for being outside the yard markers. Strengthen me. Help me cooperate with you as best I can. Thank you for your grace again. Now may I live for you. So friends, as a church, as the body of Christ here and as individual members of the body here, rejoice in what God has done for you here in Christ Jesus. In the past, what he's doing now, and what he will do in the future. Rejoice as you look into the future and prepare with a God confidence that exalts. He who began a good work will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Out of Zion, may God shine forth. And all of God's people said, Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all that our minds can do. Guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus unto life that is everlasting.